Good morning, and welcome to another episode of Kings and Queens, the podcast where we read, watch, play, and discuss history's favorite scream queens and literary kings of horror. I am your host, Nat, and this week we are diving into Chapter 11 of Stephen King's Holly. Last week, we saw our heroine, Holly, diving further into the Bonnie Doll case, and I'm excited to see where this week takes us. If you have not already, I highly recommend going back to the beginning and reading all of the previous chapters with us. As a reminder, when you hear this sound, that means I have stopped reading from the text and am instead discussing thoughts, interpretation, things like that. When the sound replays, that means the mic is back to the author. Without further ado, let's begin Chapter 11 of Holly. Chapter 11, December 4th through 19th, 2020, page 103. On December 4th, Bell College President Hubert Crumley announces that he is sending all students home early because of rampant COVID infections on campus. On the 7th, Pearl Harbor Day, he decrees that the spring semester will consist of remote classes only. Roddy Harris is horrified. That's all right for you literary types, he says to Emily. Most writing has been done in a lockdown environment since time immemorial. But aren't we supposed to follow the science according to the great Dr. Fauci? What about lab time, for God's sakes? Biolabs, chemistry and physics labs, what about them? Labs are science. This too shall pass, my dear, M says. Yes, but when? And in the meantime, what to do? I need to talk to Hamish about this. So I've really been contemplating the Harris's kind of obsession or infatuation with vitality and potentially immortality. And I do wonder if Roddy's obsession with um, these experiments he's doing started with a love of science and it just grew to the point that it ran, it ran rampant in his life. Hamish Anders is the head of the life sciences department and M doubts if Roddy's fulminations, which is what they are, will move him much. As per usual, it's ever-expanding vocabulary, so fulminations uh, really just means resentment or protest. And of course, Roddy is very, very upset that they took away his lab time. She and Roddy still take active roles in the doings of their respective colleges, but their status is largely honorary. She understands that and is happy with her little job of reading applications to the writer's workshop, especially without Jorge Castro to get in her way. It keeps her busy, it keeps her sharp, and there is the occasional gem in those piles of slush. But something else is troubling her. One thing I really like about the way King writes is the, the calculated dissonance that he puts in between his sentences, or even within the same sentence. So for Emily Harris, we've got this sweet, elderly, little old lady who really likes the writer's workshop because it gives her something to do during the day. And that really gives off that innocent, kind of harmless... Uh, beguiling persona that they're putting off to kidnap all of these people and then he gives you these longer winding turns of phrase with short staccato words in there that really indicate what the characters are truly feeling no Christmas party this year she says we haven't missed since 1992 almost 30 years it's a shame Roddy hasn't even considered that well it's not an official lockdown, dear, so people might come. He sees her eye roll. At least a few? I don't think so. Even if they did, how would they eat canapes and drink champagne indoors with their masks on? Something else occurs to her then. And the bell ringer! 
Those anti-establishment dodos who think they're reporters would have a ball with that. The bell ringer is the campus newspaper. M frames a headline with her hands. Old profs party while America burns with fever. How does that sound to you? He has to laugh and Emily joins in. Winter is hard on old joints and bones and they are having the usual aches and pains, but overall they're doing very well. The real pain will return. They know this from experience, but in the meantime, Peter Steinman has been good to them. Of course, planning ahead is important, and they have already started making a list of possibles. Roddy likes to say that God wouldn't have given us brains unless he wanted us to use them. Not that either of them believes in God or a happily ever afterlife, which is an excellent reason to extend this one as long as possible. No Christmas party on top of everything else, Roddy exclaims. Damn this plague. She gives him a hug. So I really like that we're still establishing timeline for the victims here. We know that Pete Steinman was gone sometime in 2020. I, we don't know how long he lasted with the Harrises, but we know that it was fruitful for them, which sounds terrible to say. Um, and the fact that they specifically mentioned their, whether it be atheism, agnosticism, whatever, they don't believe in God, they don't believe in an afterlife. Is this a deeper motive? Are they afraid of death? Is that why they are seeking immortality and continued vitality by cannibalism? Chapter 11, part two, page 104. A week later, Emily comes out to the garage where Roddy is affixing the 2021 state ID stickers on the license plates of their Subaru wagon. Next to it is the van with the blue and white license plates from the next state over. Roddy starts it up every once in a while to freshen the battery, but the van is only used on special occasions. The Wisconsin disability plates weren't stolen because stolen plates have a tendency to be reported. He created them in his basement workshop and would defy anyone to tell the difference between them and the real thing. It is scary and alarming how quick on their feet these elderly folks are. The careful, meticulous planning that has gone into this. I mean, essentially, it appears they are stalking these people, getting to know their routines, and finding a guise that works for them to trick them. We did also get confirmation that the plates are from the next state over, but they were indeed falsely made by Roddy, not stolen. What are you doing without your coat? Roddy asks. I've had an idea, she says, and couldn't wait to tell you. I think it's a good one, but you be the judge. He listens and declares it's not just a good idea, but an excellent idea. Genius, in fact. He gives her a hug, and maybe it's a bit too strong. Easy, big boy, M says. The sciatica is sleeping. Don't wake it up. Chapter 11, Part 3, Page 105. The Harris's annual Christmas party happens after all. It's held on the Saturday before Christmas. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that the only reason this Christmas party was possible was at the expense of Peter Steinman, his forced sacrifice. The attendance is the best in years and no one has to wear a mask. Some of the party goers arrive from other states. One actually orbits in from Bangladesh, but most are from nearby. President Crumley comes and so does this year's writer-in-residence, Henry Stratton. Emily would never say it, but she thinks it's nice to have a straight white male holding down the job again. It's a Zoom party, of course, but with a special touch that caused Roddy to raise his estimation of M's idea from excellent to genius. 
They can't serve food and drink to the party attendees in Maine or Colorado or Bangladesh, but here in the city they absolutely can, especially to those living along Victorian Row between the school and the park. They use the websites of the English and Life Sciences departments to advertise for one-night-only help, explaining what the job would entail. The stipend offered is small. The Harrises are financially comfortable but not rich, but they still have plenty of takers. It's the novelty of the thing, Emily says. Plenty of campus employees, even a few instructors, sign up for duty as Santa's elves. They spread out on the night of the party dressed in Santa hats and Santa beards. Some even add black boots and tip-of-the-nose Santa glasses. Santa's elves are reverse trick-or-treaters, each bearing a small tray of canapes to the local partygoers, and six packs of Iron City beer in lieu of champagne. The party is a roaring success. A Santa's elf also comes to 93 Ridge Road, home of the Harrises, Emily insisted. Roddy lets her in. It's a darned pretty elf with lots of blonde hair and lively brown eyes above her white beard. Her red Santa pants accentuate long legs which Roddy admires surreptitiously, but not too surreptitiously for Em. Emily shows the elf into the living room where both Harrises have set up their laptops. The better to zoom with, my dear. Em takes the plate of canapes. Roddy takes the six-pack of IC. On their laptops, Henry Stratton and his girlfriend are tipsily harmonizing on Santa Claus is Coming to Town from their own Victorian, once the resident of Jorge Castro and his friend. Aren't you the cutest elf ever, Roddy says. Watch him. He's a shark, Emily says. The elf laughs and says she will. Emily shows her back to the door. Do you have more stops to make? A couple, says the elf, and points to her bike at the end of the walk. A cooler, presumably holding two more cellophane-wrapped plates of canapes and two more six-packs, has been bungee-corded to the package carrier. I'm glad it's warm enough to bicycle. Professor, this was such a fantastic idea. Thank you, dear. Very kind of you to say. The elf gives Emily a shy side glance. I took your early American writers the year before you retired. That was an awesome class. I'm glad you enjoyed it. And this year, I finally decided to apply for the workshop. You know, the writer's workshop? You'll probably come across my submission if you're reading them for Mr. Stratton. I am, but if you're applying for the fall semester next year, I think we'll probably have somebody new. We've asked Jim Shepard, although I doubt if he'll agree to come. That would be amazing, but I probably won't make the cut anyway. I'm not very good. Em pretends to cover her ears. I pay no attention to what writers say about their work. It's what the work says about the writer that matters. Oh, I suppose that's very true. Well, I better get going. Enjoy your party. We will, Em says. What's your name, dear? Bonnie, the elf says. Bonnie Doll. Y'all, I wish <laughs> you could see this live. The way my jaw dropped. And I just, no. When I saw that this elf was Bonnie Doll, I had a sneaking suspicion, but I so didn't want it to be true. Um, so currently, what I'm thinking is this gives us another look to kind of reevaluate the Harris's motives. For Jorge Castro, career disputes, homophobia, nationalism, those are some of the motives for, for Jorge Castro specifically. Overall, the other motives appear to be longevity versus immortality. I still really can't tell, but the being afraid of the afterlife makes me think they are just afraid of death, period. Um, so at least vitality. Do you ride your bike everywhere? Except in bad weather. I have a car, but I love my bike. 
Very aerobic. Do you live close by? I have a little condo apartment by the lake. I work at the Reynolds and pick up other work, odd jobs, like, when I can. Should you be looking for another odd job in the future, I might have something you could help me with. She responds, response will be awesome or amazing. Really? That would be awesome. Are you computer friendly? Working in the library, you must be. I can hardly turn mine on without Roddy to help me. Emily speaks this lie with a disarming smile. Emily is already starting to gather information on a potential next victim just from meeting her as an elf. As an elf! And to add insult to injury, she is internally mocking Bonnie and her college student responses like, awesome, as she's trying to plan to kill her. As the reader, I am both anxious for Bonnie and livid at Emily Harris. Also, ick at Roddy Harris. We know that this man is in his late 70s, early 80s, and is kind of sexualizing this college student, talking about her long legs and blonde hair. I think this is hinting at a potential future problem. And the fact that they mention it's surreptitious, but not too, too surreptitiously for Emily, makes me think there may be discord between the couple down the line. I can't fix them, but work with them, sure. May I have your number, just in case? No promises, mind. Bonnie complies happily. Em could put it in her iPhone contacts as quick as winking, but in her current persona as a computer illiterate, she scratches it on a napkin featuring a dancing and obviously inebriated Saint Nick and the words, Happy Holidays, D-A-Z-E. Merry Christmas, Bonnie. Perhaps I'll see you again. Cool. Merry Christmas. She goes down the walk. Emily closes the door and looks at Roddy. Nice legs, he says. Dream on, Lothario, she replies, and they both laugh. So I did look it up, and Lothario is a character from a play written in 1703 called The Penitent. It's a tragedy by Nicholas Rowe, uh, and the dude is just a sex-crazed maniac. I do think this is going to be a problem for them. I most certainly have a problem with it now. Not only an elf, an aspiring writer, Roddy says. M snorts. Awesome. Cool. Amazing. I doubt if she could write an original sentence if someone put a gun to her head. But it's not her brains we'd be interested in, would we? Oh, don't say that, Roddy says, and they both laugh some more. They have a little list of possibles for next fall, and this Santa's elf would make a good addition. As long as she's not vegan, Roddy says. We don't need another one of those. Emily kisses his cheek. She loves Roddy's dry sense of humor. End of chapter 11. These people are so sick. My God. I do always enjoy kind of, it's like watching animals in the zoo, which is ironic because that's what they think they're doing to these people that they're abducting. But it is. Watching them try to justify their behaviors and why they're doing it and all of the, it's just, it's nasty. It's like watching animals in a zoo. They've got their own little society going between the two of them. Thank you so much for joining me. I really enjoyed going through this chapter with you. Uh, I hope you join me next week. And just remember, it's all a bunch of hocus pocus. Don't forget to like and subscribe. And a very Merry Christmas to you and yours for those of you who celebrate.